0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report, Ahmed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. That's the sound of Gabe Amo's supporters when he won the Democratic primary in the 1st Congressional District on Tuesday night. In this very blue district, AMO is almost certain to become the first person of color to represent Rhode Island in Congress. How did AMO win the night? My colleagues Steph Machado and Jim Hummel, host of a lively experiment on Rhode Island PBS, are here to break down the results. That's after a quick break. Welcome back. I'm here with my colleagues, Steph Machado and Jim Hummel, host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS. Thank you for coming in, Jim and Steph. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Um, so last night, former White House official Gabe Amma won the Democratic primary in the first congressional district race, putting him on course to become the first black representative from the state of Rhode Island. Steph, why did AMA win?
1: Well, I think it was a combination of factors. First of all, clearly his message worked, right? He started from day one of the campaign talking about his work for two presidents, Joe Biden and Barack Obama, and he also worked for Gina Raimondo, and none of those people actually endorsed him, but it felt like they did, right? It was in every ad. It was in every message that he was giving throughout the campaign, but I think a major factor also in Gabe's victory here was the collapse of the Sabina Matos campaign due to the signature scandal earlier in the summer. She was thought to be a front runner from the beginning because she was Statewide office holder, the only person with statewide name recognition, Um, that signature scandal, and I think the way her campaign handled it really hurt her. I also think she didn't have a significant base of support in the first district. She was living in the second district. You know, her base in Providence lived in a part of the city where they couldn't actually vote in this election. So it wasn't. She was never a shoe in, um, even if she was a front runner. But her campaign collapsed, and the. Anti-Aaron Regenberg voter, the more moderate, centrist Democrat who was looking for an alternative to Aaron Regenberg... Turned to Gabe Amo. He surged in the final weeks of the campaign, and of course, emerged uh, victorious last night. Jim, what do
2: you
0: think? He won,
2: and he won big. Why? Well, you know, for the for the ones who study elections, they're going to go back and look. We talked early on about nobody knows Gabe Amo. Should he be doing the introductory "Hi, I'm Gabe Amo" early on? He backloaded his money at the end, and he was. And you know, when everybody else was kind of had Regenberg peaked which we knew that he did it was look he's everywhere and you see him you know I got to laugh you see these ads and you always put your your best foot forward it almost made it look you're right he didn't get any endorsements but he's there with biden he's there with uh, obama it makes him look like he has the nuclear codes or you know keys to the rehoboth beach house it's like wow this guy's a real insider he's a player
1: and just to show how i think it all came together near the end he Basically, tied with Aaron Regenberg in the mail ballots. In fact, Regenberg got two more mail ballots than than Amo did. But if you look at the polling place results, nearly 9,000 votes at the polling places on election day for Gabe Amo, 6,600 for Aaron Regenberg. In the end, Amo, with more than 12,000 votes, he, he he handily beat Aaron Regenberg. it wasn't even that close, yeah, just
0: we were just here a few minutes ago. It seems talking about how Aaron Regenberg was the front runner. That was the consensus. Uh, what happened to Aaron Regenberg?
1: Well, I always thought Aaron Regenberg couldn't get above twenty five percent, but I thought twenty five percent was enough to win the race because there were twelve candidates because aaron Regenberg, if if, if you're just tuning in <laughs> is uh, was the more left wing um, Bernie Sanders wing of the party heavily focused on Climate and um, progressive issues. Um, There's obviously a chunk of the electorate in CD one who really cares about that, and he had a built-in base in Providence, but he couldn't get above that twenty-five percent. And Gabe managed to get thirty-two and a half percent. As we're taping this podcast, a few more votes are still yet to be counted, but basically a third of um, the vote. Listen, he didn't he didn't get a majority, but to get a third of the vote in a twelve way twelve way race is pretty impressive. But look at the breakdown. If you look at he won sixteen
2: out of the nineteen communities, and you look at Barrington fifty to twenty three, Little Compton fifty to twenty nine, Newport forty three to twenty five. Tiverton, twenty nine to twenty seven, and even in Jamestown, where they had the you know the signature scandal, he beat Sandra Cano. She came in second. Regenberg was second in most communities. Matos had two point eight percent. She came in seventh. So I agree with Steph that I think. I think endorsements by Bernie Sanders and AOC in the end hurt him with the more moderates. You see this kind of suburban, you know, once we get outside the urban areas, we want a Democrat, we want somebody to go to Congress, but we're not sure whether we want the squad and all of the, you know, the less progressive areas of the state. Honestly, though, I didn't think it was going to be the thumping. I mean, you know, we thought it would be close. And we all thought, you know, Gabe Amo's a nice guy. And, you know, if he finishes second, that'll kind of be good. And then he can try again. I mean, as it came in, it was pretty clear last night.
1: And and I think people thought that those the people who the sort of non-Bernie, non-AOC Democrats might split their vote among Amo, Kano, and Matos, and that would be Aaron's path to victory. And that isn't what happened. They they, they did consolidate around Amo.
0: Steph, why did Senator Kano finish third? I mean, she had all these endorsements from state legislators, mayors, city council members. She had union support. She finished third.
1: I think she had a ground game that would have been very successful in a state Senate race, a mayoral race. Um, But having all those endorsements didn't necessarily bring the voters. And she did well. She came in third. Um, But, you know, just because Charlie Lombardi endorses you does not mean all the people in North Providence are going to vote for you, right? It didn't. She had a ton of support, a ton of endorsements, and a good ground game. But Amo's organization and money came in stronger and he didn't have very many endorsements at all, but he had a ton of support and he was well-known in political circles from people who could – and he had to get outside money as well. Kano didn't have outside money coming in for her from super PACs and That's all true. of that.
2: Your colleague Dan McGowan said keep an eye on East Providence. And East Providence, you know, Bob DeSilva, the mayor there, did not endorse, but it was 35 to 25. Uh He beat Regenberg by 10 points. And I think it's almost like we talk about Ohio during the national elections.
0: I think East Providence was a good bellwether for where the state was going to go. Ohio. Um, Jim, how do you explain the fact that uh, Lieutenant Governor Matos, the only statewide elected official in the race, finished a distant fourth?
2: I just think all of the 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 vacuum of news coverage that would have been covered other things was all directed, filled by her and the signature scandal. And I think people always say, you know, any uh, publicity is good publicity. Any publicity is good. Just spell my name right. In this case, I think it was week after week after week after week. And I don't think Governor McKee did her any favors either. I mean, now he's a little bit, you know, he yeah. sat out and I can't wait. We talked about this earlier. What is that next gathering going to be like over the next three years where the lieutenant governor, is she going to be on one end and McKee's going to be over here? He was quoted as saying this morning, we're taping the day after the election, I think the voters got it right. You know, and and
1: she came in fifth in Cumberland, which is McKee's hometown. Fifth in Cumberland. He did not – he hasn't said publicly who he voted for or anything like that, but he certainly didn't help her win. And she, you know,
2: I had somebody text me last night and said, do you think she's going to face a primary in 2026? Well, I said, look, that's three years away, and people have very short memories. But did this weaken her? Well, how did you think Matos handled this
0: scandal? Just well, horribly. Yeah.
2: We were talking right before we went on. Last night, she still... Painted herself as a victim. They asked her, and look, it's really tough after a campaign where you're the perceived front runner millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars are being spent by outside people. You got all the endorsements and then you come in a distant fourth. What are you gonna say? If it had been me, I would have said, you know what? We made mistakes early on. I should have taken accountability. And you know what? I apologize to all the people who put their faith in me and the endorsements and the money because I let them down. It and, and never Jim, came out of her mouth.
0: Jim Hottie explained that Representative Stephen Casey, a more conservative Democrat from Woonsocket, finished fifth.
2: I think he got to that even further to the right. You know, he was – during the debates, I thought he did really well. Speaking to that group that maybe wanted to vote Democrat but uh, was a little more gun
0: rights, that type of thing. And don't you think the Firefighters Union helped him? Oh, for sure. Tons.
1: Absolutely. And one one more thing about Matos. You know, you mentioned all publicity is good publicity. That's not true. She wasn't seeking a lot of good publicity prior to the signature scandal. So she – you know, the, I was working at Channel 12 when she announced her campaign, sent out a press release, said, I'm running for Congress. I was assigned the story. I asked for an interview with her that day, and they said, no, she's not available. And I'm like, well, you guys are the ones that decided to announce your, your campaign today. And so she wasn't – that was just an op- – that would have been an opportunity to be on TV. It's sort of a earned media as the, they call it in politics – she declined and was not on TV that night talking about running for Congress. And so then the, one of the first times the voters saw her was her press conference having to explain the scandal. So she wasn't getting get, getting a lot of news coverage for herself prior to the negative news coverage that happened.
2: I also think she could have done a better job harnessing what the governor has done so far. Now, Governor McKee's been up and down in the polls, but when they asked her, what grade would you give to say, look, we've put 250, we have put $250 million into affordable housing, with, you know, the act on climate, all this stuff that could have spoken to the voters instead of just taking a pass to say, to, to paint herself as more than just a lieutenant governor who's showing up at the press conferences. We have gotten real things together, done together. And I it just never materialized.
0: Steph, how many candidates finished with less than 5% of the vote?
1: Seven out of 12. What does that tell you? Did not even crack 5%. Um, it tells me that a lot of time, I want to say this very carefully, a lot of time was wasted on debates that invited candidates who had no chance of winning, who got one or two percent of the vote, and This is what we've been talking about the whole time, that if we had had public polling, it would have helped narrow the field for especially some of the final debates near the end of the campaign. I think it's important near the beginning to invite everyone on the ballot to a debate because that's how they start to gain support. But when you look at candidates who were invited to every single debate, every forum, were part of every single piece of news coverage and got two percent of the vote or three percent of the vote it makes you wonder if a lot of oxygen was sort of sucked out of the air so to speak on such a wide field 11 candidates all the way until the end there were there were 12 on the ballot because don carlson dropped out and by the way he didn't even come in last he dropped out and he came in Uh,
0: 676 votes for Carlson. Yeah, Yeah, Jim, there was a Republican primary last night also. Who won that and was that close?
2: Yeah, Gary Leonard absolutely thumped Terry Flynn. It was 70 – he took 75 percent of the vote. Not surprising, but I mean look at the numbers, Ed. He won with 3,000 votes. She got – just under 3,000. She got 951. So only 4,000 people – voted in that election. What does that tell you
0: about the CD1?
2: Not a lot of Republicans. um, Or maybe they couldn't get out the base. I just think it it leans toward CD1 as a very liberal district, but maybe not as liberal as we thought.
1: Well, people don't like to waste their time, right? Right. I mean, they're not going to go vote in a Republican primary in a district where everyone's saying it's a safe blue seat. I mean, I talked to unaffiliated voters who voted in the Democratic primary. Maybe they. Maybe you know voters who sometimes vote Democrat, sometimes vote Republican, but they voted in the Democratic primary because that was the primary that mattered.
2: It'll be interesting to see what his approach now is. He kind of took the Alan Fung uh, model from a couple of years ago, where this in the governor's race and a little bit to a lesser extent in the. in the CD2 race, wait until the primary over and then wait for the last eight weeks to really start to report or to talk to reporters. And it's almost this like national Republican thing. Don't talk to the media. And I'm like, if, if nobody knows you, remember, he had the he had his um, kickoff and reporters were excluded or they weren't invited. It's like, well, who's running that campaign? I have emailed his campaign manager
0: three times with questions. No response. Steph, let's talk about turnout. It was higher than we expected, right?
1: It was. uh, About 38,000 voters in the Democratic primary for CD1. Um, I think in the roadmap contest, I might have guessed 31,000. So um, I was, I guess, a pessimist. But, you know, listen, this is still a tiny fraction of the... Of the registered voters in the district, it's it's much less than we would have seen in a regular election year. But thirty eight thousand is more than I think a lot of us thought. Um, people were a lot of candidates and campaigns were were texting me as it was coming down to the wire. Everyone thought the high turnout was going to benefit them, <laughs> um, and it, you know people did end up turning out to the polls.
0: And who won in Providence?
1: Aaron Regenberg won Providence, um, but he didn't win any other community, and that's why Providence was not enough to get him over the line. About 8,000 people voted in the city of Providence, and and Regenberg won with just about 400 votes uh, above Gabe Amo, so it wasn't... Um, he didn't win a majority. It was 29.5% to
2: 25.5%. That's and right. And if you're going to lose all the other communities, you got to bank. Everybody thought that East Side's going to come out for him. you got to win by at least 10 to 15 points in yeah. Providence if you're going to win. If
1: he had dominated Providence, if he had gotten a majority in Providence, we could be talking about a different election result here. But, you know, he did win the East Side. The East Side came out for Regenberg, but a lot of them also liked Amo. And Amo got, was not too far behind Regenberg and Providence. And then Ana Kezada, third place in Providence, she did very well in her home district that she represents. She won, I, I haven't checked every precinct, but all the precincts that I checked in the south side, and the west end, she came in first. Uh, so she can feel proud that her, you know, her constituents, her base came out for her. Sabina Matos did not do well in Providence. Um, John Gonzales, who's a Providence City Councilman, came in one, two, three, four, five, sixth, Came in sixth in Providence, so he did not do well in his home city either. And so in the end, the, the vote in Providence was split too much. And the winner of Providence – sometimes they say what, – what's as the Providence saying? As Providence goes, Providence goes, 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 goes the so the does state. the state. Well, yeah. not in this race. Well,
2: and Stephen Casey wiped up in Woonsocket as mm-hmm. he should have and Sandra Cano in Central Falls.
0: Yeah, right. they should. Yeah. That's yeah. their, yeah, that's their home turf. How many, city, how many cities in 16
2: out of 19. And right. which
0: ones did he lose? Uh, he lost Central Falls, he lost one socket. And Providence. And Providence. What is the – or what would be the historic significance of his victory in November? Well, clearly the first person of color. And I think it just his whole
2: family story is great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Globe had great pictures on election night. Um, just did a fantastic that Ryan job. Conady. Ryan Kennedy Ryan Connady had that shot of his – hugging his mother and incredible. then his dad doing the happy dance, That right? was great. Uh, the, and you know what? It almost made me wonder why didn't they roll them out earlier? You know, dad's I, yeah. I mean, what lovable parents, right? Why weren't they there 2 weeks before the election? Not that it mattered, but Yeah,
1: he did talk about them a lot on the campaign trail. Um, my dad's
2: at the liquor store right now. Ring it up the 6 but pack. But
1: I I thought that those photos and and the videos as well of him hugging his mom and the dad's his dad celebrating were really inspirational. It's a really good story. It's a historic win. Um, and by the way, I got to give some um, kudos to Sandra Cano, who uh, lost, left her party and went over to Gabe Amo's party to very congratulate them. That was very classy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this was the most diverse field ever in a congressional race in Rhode Island. And so we, it looks like it could make history. Steph, let's talk about the age of our congressional delegation of Amma Wins. How old is Gabe and how old is Seth Magaziner?
1: Yeah, so uh, Gabe Amo is 35. He's a millennial, obviously replacing David Cicilline, who um, is a member of... The baby boomer generation, He's I believe. He's on the fringe of the boomers. The fringe of the boomers. OK, thank you, Jim. Um, the and, resident boomer here. And and Seth Magaziner, who <laughs> Thanks, replaced... <boomer>. Thank you. <laughs> Seth Magaziner, who replaced uh, Jim Langevin last year, um, I believe just turned 40. So we've got two millennials in Congress now representing Rhode Island. And by the way, all three of the top finishers in last night's race are millennials. So definitely a new generation coming in to represent Rhode yeah, Island.
0: Yeah, how long do you think uh, Magaziner and Amo could be in office, Jim?
2: Well... You know, normally these are lifetime. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. We always talked about how this is kind of the placeholder. And depending on who won, who's going to challenge him next year? I think with the decisiveness of the win and he's going to have a platform for the next eight months, does he get a does he get a Democratic challenger? What do you year? think? I, I think it would be a, an uphill battle.
1: Yeah, I think he would have to be really bad at the job for someone to feel like they had a good shot. And Regenberg's At done. And you, a, what did Regenberg him. tell you
0: last night about uh, running I, again?
1: I asked Mr. Regenberg if he thought he would ever run for office again and he said that this was his last hurrah. So not not to expect him on a on a ballot again, of course that can always change.
0: Jim, Steph, get some sleep. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, said. For more on the special election results, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor follow the show and leave us a review on apple podcasts i'm ed fitzpatrick see you next week looking to binge watch all your favorite pbs shows you need rhode island pbs passport masterpiece antiques roadshow rhode island pbs weekly and many more Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org/passport. That's ripbs.org/passport.